Amen. If you could take your Bibles, please, and open them up to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. It's near the end of your Bibles. It's just after James, after Hebrews. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's open that up together. This morning is the morning we finish. (laughs) Praise the Lord for that. Always a blessing uh, to come and finish a book in the Lord's Word. As you know, uh, 1 Peter is about suffering and how Christians are to suffer well in this world. Because you and I know that Christians are not exempt from suffering. We experience it, we feel it, we know it, we see it, we cannot ignore it. All of us experience suffering. And so what Peter has for us this morning is one final word to Christians like you and me who suffer. He is one final instruction to us. Because when you suffer, you know and might have heard in in 1 Peter that he says, don't be surprised by it, expect it, know that it's coming. But then you might want to ask, well, what am I supposed to do? I don't want to just sit in my suffering. I actually want to do something about it. Well, Peter, in these final words to us, he has three final instructions that he wants to say to us about what it means to suffer well as Christians. And I want to read to you the passage first and then look at these three simple things this morning. Our focus this morning will be chapter 5, 1 Peter, chapter 5, Verses 5 to 11. Let's read God's word together. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's Word to us. When we are suffering, Peter has three instructions, guidelines, things for us to consider when we are going through suffering. Three ways that we are to respond and live our life. The first thing he calls us to do is live the humble life. 
When you are suffering, you are called to live the humble life. And you are called to live the humble life in two ways. Live the humble life horizontally toward the people around you and live the humble life vertically toward the God above you. That is how we are to live the humble life. Now, when you think of humility, sometimes we get a picture of humility that that is... um, the person that doesn't cause too much of a fuss, the person that sits back, lies back. It's a quiet life. It's a still life. It's a humble life that, that just sits back. That's not the picture of the humble life. The picture of the humble life is the picture of a humble life toward people and toward God. And so we see these two pictures in two verses. The first picture is in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the first picture of the humble life. It is humility toward other people. To the elders and the leaders in your church, which we talked about last week, it takes humility to follow fallen leaders. And then also humility toward one another. Do you notice he says, clothe yourself. There are clothes that we are to put on toward one another. I am glad that you did not forget to put on your clothes this morning. All of us are very glad that you did not forget to put on your clothes this morning. Often I think that Christians forget to put on the most important clothes of all, and that is The clothes of humility to one another, especially in suffering. Do you know if you have a bad day, say you wake up and you're just having a really bad day, just a normal bad day. What do you tend to do with the people around you? Do you know what you tend to do with the people around you when you have a bad day? You turn on them, don't you? You turn on them. You react to them, you get angry at them, you fight with them, you turn on them just with a bad day. That's what can happen to us in suffering. Not just with a bad day, but when we're suffering in life and things are going wrong, do you know what we tend to do? We tend to turn on people. And sometimes we turn on the people who are there to help us. And so you will be tempted in your Christian life when you are going through suffering and heartache to turn on people. Even people in this church, you will forget that the people in this church are here to help you and be there for you and pray for you. But what can happen to you in your suffering is you can say to yourself, well, they don't understand. They don't know what I'm going through. They're not living the way I'm living. They're not experiencing the life and suffering and pain and hardship that I'm experiencing. They don't know. And what can happen is you can get bitter towards your brothers and sisters. You can be prideful in that way. But humility says, no, I'm going to let you come alongside me. You know, not everybody in this church needs to know all your business. They don't. But it probably is important that someone knows something about your life here. That when you're going through hardship and suffering, that you might be able to tell someone here. So that they can come alongside you and pray for you. But you know what that takes? That takes humility. 
to admit, can you imagine, to actually admit, I don't have my life all together. Do you know that? Isn't that just freeing for all of us just to recognize, I don't have a picture perfect life and I need your help, Christian, to come alongside me. But it takes humility sometimes to admit that. Because in church we don't want to. We don't want to. Myself included. It takes humility. And, and, and the encouragement we get towards a humble life in suffering is this. Proverbs, he quotes it, Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You don't want God opposing you. You want God giving grace toward you. And that's the humble life. So the humble life, the first picture of the humble life is a horizontal picture, a picture of humility toward people. And the second picture is in the next verse, a humble life toward God. We see that here in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. This is the second picture of the humble life. The humble life is not only horizontal, but the humble life is vertical toward God. We are living a life of humility toward God our Savior, the mighty God. He is the mighty God. Do you know when it talks about the mighty God? It is in Exodus when God delivers His people out of their slavery and captivity. The God who sends all the plagues. The God who splits the water and sets His people free to go through on dry ground. The God who then closes the water upon the enemies. He is called the mighty God. And you and I, as Christians, are called to live a humble life under this mighty God because it is this mighty God who cares for us. And this picture of humility under the mighty God, we are actually told in this verse how we are to live a life of humility before the humble God. How are we going to live this life of humility? It's one thing to say it, but how do I actually do it? And what it says in this verse is how you live the humble life before God. In verse 7, it says this, casting your anxieties on Him. It is not just to say you cast once off your anxieties on Him. It is very intentional in this passage that it says, casting All your anxieties upon Him. Why? Because every single day, you and I have anxieties. And every single day, I need somewhere to cast it to. And we are called to live the humble life before God by casting all our anxieties before Him. That's humility. If humility is casting all our anxieties upon Him, then what is pride? It's something we don't often talk about, but you know what pride is. If humility is casting all our anxieties to Him, then what's pride? Holding all our anxieties from Him. That's pride. Because when we hold on to all our anxieties, do you know what we're saying to God? God, you're not good enough. 
God, you can't deal with this. God, you're not powerful enough. So therefore, I cannot give this to you, God, because I do not trust you, God. And that subtly is pride. To keep all your anxieties in, but to live the humble life before God is to give all your anxieties before Him. And if I was to say, in this world, one of the deep struggles that all of us have, and more and more nowadays that we see, it is the struggle with anxiety. All of us go through it. You ever anxious about your children? You ever anxious about what goes on in their life? Do you ever micromanage your child's life just to make sure every single little bit and nuance is protected and cared for and, and you almost bubble wrap your child? Well, what you've got to realize about your child is one day your child grows up and one day your child leaves. So one day you're going to have to trust God and that may as well be today. We get anxious about these things. Sometimes we get we get anxious of, about our finance, don't we? We get anxious about our money and so we, we count every single little penny and we make sure that we have just enough. Whereas the reality is, if you're sitting in this room with clothes on and you have food to eat and you have a car to drive and you have a roof over your head, that means you are among some of the richest people in the world. You see? And we're still anxious. About the stuff that we have. We can be anxious about all these things. Or, or what about even, even just COVID and the pandemic, all those things? We can be over anxious about that. Counting all the numbers, all the case numbers, all the people in hospital, every single hour we're constantly looking at it, looking at the numbers, worrying, wondering, checking what's gonna happen. Holding all these anxieties in upon ourselves, so much so, so over-anxious that every decision we make in our life is on the basis of these numbers. Instead of casting all our anxieties on Him. And you know what I'm not saying? I'm not saying your children are not important. I'm not saying it's not important to be wise with your finances. And I'm not saying it's not important for us to wear masks this morning like we are doing. I'm just saying that there is an over-anxiety that can happen in our life where we keep all of this to ourselves and we do not give it to God. And God calls us this morning, you and me, to live the humble life before Him. That's what we do in our suffering. Live the humble life. The second thing he calls us to is to live the alert life. You see this more briefly in verse 8, don't you? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When you are suffering, you are called to live the humble life. But when you are suffering, you are also called to live the alert life. That's what being sober-minded and being watchful is. It is being on the alert. I remember Luana and I, we lived in the States for, for three and a half years and we used to, um, we used to visit this, this wonderful, wonderful family. Their home was like a home away from home. They would put us up, they would help us, they would look after us. It was a, it was about an hour away from the college that we were studying and it was just really nice to go to the house. The thing is, they had a lot of nice things in the house. 
And so they had a, a mini grand piano. And they had uh, an, an ancient kind of organ. And they also had a standing piano. All these musical instruments. And then they had um, low down, you know, close to the ground, they had all these like little trinkets or I don't know if they're quite um, antiques or whatever, but important stuff to them, low down on the ground, everything. And then they had stairs. They had not only had one flight of stairs, but they had two flight of stairs. And they had not only stairs that were going up, but they had stairs that were going down into the basement. And you say, what's wrong with all that? What's wrong with all that is we had a toddler. And so you go and every parent does this and the younger parents at the back will know exactly what I'm talking about. What you do the moment you get into the house and you have a toddler is you scan that house. You say, what do I need to put up high? What do I need to avoid? Where are the child gates? Where are the stairs? All this kind of thing. So whenever we visited, do you know what happened? We were always, always, always on the alert. And that is how we're to live the Christian life. Always on the alert. Some of you live the Christian life always asleep. You're completely open for attack. We are to live always, always on the alert. And that's what he says, isn't it? The first two commands. First, be sober-minded. What's the opposite of sober in Ireland? What's the opposite of sober? Drunk, isn't it? And your mind is all over the place and you can't concentrate and you don't know what's going on. He tells us as Christians in this world, we're not to be drunk on this world. We are to have a sober and clear mind when we're dealing with the things of this world. Our minds are to be clear and on the alert. The second thing he says is be watchful. So not only have clear minds, but watch out with your eyes. Keep your minds clear and be on the alert with your eyes. For what? The attacks of the devil, because he is against you, and he prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. And so what you need to remember in suffering is that there, in suffering there are two beings at work in your life. In your suffering, first, there is God at work in your suffering. How does God use your suffering? He uses it to refine you, to grow you, to mature you, to keep you. He uses suffering for good in your life. But what does the devil seek to do with your suffering in your life? Discourage you, lie to you, intimidate you, destroy you. That's what he seeks to do. And we actually see this picture in the cross, don't we? Of the suffering of Jesus. We see the work of the devil when he came upon Judas. Trying to get at Jesus. We see the work of the devil through the soldiers. We see the work, the devil at work. The only problem with his work was he was working against himself. Because it was also part of God's plan, you see. And God took that evil and he used it for good purposes. So that Christ Jesus died on the cross for your sin and mine. And what we need to remember in our suffering is not only God is at work, but the devil is at work to destroy you. And that might make some of us feel uncomfortable this morning because for some reason, we're okay with talking about God in heaven. Everybody's fine with that. But we don't want to talk about the devil in hell. The Bible talks about both. 
And so we have to talk about what the Bible talks about. And when it comes to the devil, there's there's two things that we can do in relation to the devil. The first thing we can do, and this is what we tend to do in our, our Western culture, is we trivialize the work of the devil. In, in a Western culture, all we see is the material things, physical things that are in front of us. Often we, certainly Irish people, don't tend to like to see beyond that. Maybe the modern Irish, let's say, don't like to see beyond the physical, the tangible They don't want to like to see that there's spiritual warfare on mind. So what we tend to do is play down the work of the devil. Even Christians tend to do that. We forget that the devil is out against us, prowling around like a roaring lion. We trivialize his work. But the second thing we can do in relation to the work of the devil is we can also sensationalize his work. We can see the devil in every single thing, in every single corner. We think every illness, every injury, every bad thing that happens in my life, it's all the devil. The devil's around every single corner. Don't give him that much credit. He can only be in one place at one time. He can only be in one place at one time. And the other thing you need to remember is this. He has been defeated. And one day he is fully going down when our Savior comes back. So don't trivialize him. Don't sensationalize him. What should we do according to this verse? We should just recognize him. Recognize his work. That he is against us. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Be watchful. Do you know what? Let me tell you this. The devil hates what is going on right now in this church. He hates what we are doing. And he wants every single one of us here right now to be distracted. Me included. He wants you to be distracted from the Lord during the week. He wants you to be distracted from his word. He wants to take this word that I'm preaching right now. And as soon as you walk out the door, he wants to snatch it from you. Do not make any mistake about it. He is against you. So be alert. But don't give him so much credit. So we're called to live the humble life. We're called to live the alert life. And the last thing we are called to do is live the resistant life. Look at verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him. Be dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are not only called to live the humble life and the alert life, we are called to live the resistant life in our suffering. This is Peter's final call to you in your suffering. Live the resistant life. Now, I'm a person who thinks in pictures. So when I meditate on the scripture, when I'm thinking about the scripture, when I'm reading the Bible, I often think in pictures. Pictures come to my mind. And so when I read this passage to live the resistant life, a picture came to my mind when I was 12, 13, 14, 15. This was the picture that came into my mind. The picture was this. He often comes into my mind, my brother fighting with me. My brother and I, we loved each other when we were younger, but we also fought a lot when we were younger too. And I used to remember, and I'm not just sensationalizing this, but I used to remember countless times 
And I'm sure maybe the kids will remember things like this in their lives. But I remember countless times when I would fight with him. And he was bigger than me. I'm the baby of four in my family. And he was bigger than me. And I would fight with him. And I would do something to him. And what would I do after I do something to him? You do whatever any younger brother would do. You run. And so I ran. I would do something to him and I would run. And where would I run? I would run upstairs and I would run straight to my bedroom and he would be right behind me because he was faster than me. And as soon as I got into my bedroom, what would I do? I would try and slam the door, but then he would come to the door and he would put his foot kind of like bend his foot back. You know how that happens? So here I am at one side of the door pushing and he's at the other side of the door pushing. And what am I doing? In one sense, the picture I get into my head is, is I was resisting him. I was resisting his attack. Notice in the illustration, he's the devil and I'm resisting. This is, this is, this is the way it is. I, I was resisting. And so what you can see in this picture, you could think that is how I resist. That's how I resist the devil and his attack. It's all me. It's all me. It's all my effort. But I would say if that's the picture that you get, if that's the only picture that you get, It may not be the right picture because it's not all about you and all your strength. Yes, the passage does call me and you to resist him, doesn't it? It says that. So we're called, you and me are called to do a work. You and me are called to resist him. But how are we called to resist him? Do you know what it says? Verse 9, resist him. How? Firm in your faith. That's how we resist the devil. Not by my strength, not by my might, but by my mighty God. I resist Him by my faith in Him and Him alone. I don't resist the devil by my work and what I have done. I resist him by God's work and what God has done in Christ Jesus for me. Faith isn't about the amount of faith I have or the amount of strength I have. Our faith is about someone else. It's about Jesus. And praise God, my faith is dependent upon Jesus. Because if my faith was dependent upon Shane Dean, guess what would happen to my faith tomorrow? I would lose it. But my faith is not dependent on me. It's dependent upon him. So that means I can, I can live the resistant life. And he closes by giving us two reasons for the resistant life. The first he says is, your brotherhood throughout the world have experienced these the same kinds of suffering that you are. Brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same sufferings that we are, and they are living for Christ in that. They're still Christians. Remember, a few weeks back, a couple of weeks back, I told you about uh, our brother, Pastor Nasir in Iran. Imprisoned for 10 years. What was his crime? He started a church and was put in prison for 10 years. He started a church, yet he goes to prison and I get to go home and be with my family. He stood, resisted, and still stands today. That's why we should resist. It's the first reason. 
And the last reason he gives us to resist is this. Glory is coming, verse 8. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You can suffer now the resistant life. You can live the humble life. You can live the alert life. You can live the resistant life knowing that this life is not your home. Notice what he says about suffering. When you have suffered a little while. A little while. In light of eternity, 60 years, a little while. 70 years, a little while. 80 years, a little while. Let's go big. Say you live a 100 years. If you make it that far, God bless you. A 100 years. Do you know what that is in light of eternity? A little while. One day, for eternity upon eternities, you will be with Him in glory. You know Peter's favorite word for heaven? Peter's favorite word for heaven is glory. And he speaks about glory seven times in this book. Why would you speak about glory so much in a book about suffering? Because that is exactly what the suffering Christian needs to remember. Glory is coming. Glory is coming. No more tears. No more suffering. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more anxieties. Only, only glory. That's why he says to him be dominion forever and ever. In other words, in other words, what Peter is doing, and you think I'm shouting just because that's Shane shouting. No, it's like Peter is shouting through the passage. To him be dominion. To him be rule. To him be kingship forever and ever. Amen. That's the life we are to live, brothers and sisters. That's the life the suffering Christian is called to live. So you today, when you walk out of this room, live the humble life, live the alert life, and live the resistant life to the glory of His name. Now in order to finish this book, do you know what I have to do? (laughs) I just want to read the last few verses to you so we can tick it off. Will we read that together? Let's read that together. Verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You might have one question you're going to ask. Surely you're going to ask the question. Do we really have to kiss each other? You know, if, if you're visiting this morning, you're kind of like, I knew they would get weird at some point. I knew it. I knew it was coming. They were going to get weird at some point. And here it is. They say, greet one another with not just a kiss. What does it say? A kiss of love. You say, surely that's just, you know, that's nothing. But then, that's how 
That's how the end of Romans, it says, greet one another with a kiss. The end of 1 Corinthians says, greet one another with a kiss. The end of 2 Corinthians says, greet one another with a kiss. The end of 1 Thessalonians says, greet one another with a kiss. So I'm getting worried. Are we supposed to greet one another with a kiss? I think this is somewhat culturally bound, isn't it? If you tried to greet one another with a kiss in Ireland, you would probably get greeted with a box in return. This is showing us and telling us we are to greet one another with an expression of love. And whatever that means culturally for us, we do that. If it is a hug, if it is a handshake, if right now it is an elbow, we greet one another with love. And that's what I'd encourage you guys to do in this church. Know this. There are brothers and sisters around you that are going through a hard life just like you. And they need love and they need care just like you do. And so greet one another in that way. So that's 1 Peter. That's seven books of the Bible done and 59 to go. So let's pray that the Lord would help us in the future. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to finish this great book, 1 Peter. I pray, Lord, that as a body, as a church, we would return back to this letter again and again when we experience suffering and we need your help, Lord. Help us have that perspective. Help us live a life of alertness and resistance and humility, Lord. We need you. In your name, amen, amen.